Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Amen. As Perry and Jacob have already told you, today is the 12th and final quarantine Sunday. Yeah, we've been doing this 12 weeks, preaching to an empty sanctuary. Next week we begin to gather. Uh, We'll tell you more in detail about that at the very, very, very end of this service, so uh, stick around for that. All right, last Sunday we completed the long six-month journey from Advent to Pentecost. And now we're entering into what is called ordinary time. (laughs) There's some irony there. This time is anything but ordinary. And so my sermon today, no ordinary time. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Today is Trinity Sunday, and our gospel reading on Trinity Sunday is from the conclusion of Matthew's gospel because in it we find the formula of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's also the passage in the Scripture that we call the Great Commission. Some have suggested that ordinary time, this portion of the church calendar, six months nearly, between Pentecost and Advent, that we change the name from ordinary time to kingdom time. I'm down with that. I like that. It may not be an ordinary time, but it's kingdom time. Uh, And now more than ever, I think we need to lean into understanding what we mean when we say the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is here, and we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. In this text, Jesus at the time of his ascension, tells his disciples, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. What an audacious claim. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven, that's where we think Jesus is stuck, and on earth. Wow. It may be no ordinary time, but it is kingdom time because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to King Jesus. By the way, that's what Christ mostly means. That's probably the single best way to think about what does Christ means. It means king. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to King Jesus. Now, interestingly, this is the offer that the devil made to Jesus in the wilderness temptation. In the third and final and big temptation, the devil 
takes Jesus up on a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, you know what? All this authority is mine and I give it to whom I will. If you'll just bow down and do some obeisance, I'll give it to you. Okay, what is this temptation about? Is, is the devil tempting Jesus to become a Satan worshiper? No, not so much. That wouldn't work. The temptation is this, that Jesus would become a king like all the other kings, that he would gain an empire like all the rest gain their empires. What do I mean by that? The temptation was for Jesus in the name of good, to raise an army, go to war, drive the Romans out of Israel, and maybe even march on Rome, and Jesus could be installed as the new emperor. He would, of course, do it for good, but mm, he perceived, no, that is a temptation to bow down to the devil. And he says, it is written, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Be gone. Now, after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and at the moment of his ascension, he announces that what the devil had offered and Jesus had refused, the Father has now given to the Son. Let this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with a God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but instead he emptied himself. And he became human. He came to us as a servant. And he was obedient, obedient to death, even unto death upon a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and confess, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus is given all authority. Do you believe that? It's an audacious statement. It's one of the, it's one of the most radical things that a Christian can claim, that all authority is given unto Jesus. I just want that to sink in. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. You believe that? I'm preaching to an empty sanctuary. I mean, there's actually we have a huge crowd here today. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got a crowd of six. It's the biggest I've had in 12 weeks. Hallelujah. But I really wish I had a, a, a really big crowd because uh, I want some give and take. So I, I got a question. Uh, does Jesus have all authority in heaven on earth? Perry, help me out. She said, yes. You can't hear. Her. She said, yes. Okay, follow-up question. Uh, does Jesus have all authority in heaven and on earth now? Yes. Really? Right now? Okay. So Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has it now. He's not waiting to have it. Because, I mean, let's, let's just check it out. Maybe we ought to read the text here and say, uh, and Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been, has been given to me. Yep, that's right, Perry. He has all authority. Okay, another question. Uh, is anyone exempt from this authority? Is it all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me? Asterisk, there's a few, there's a few that don't, that are exempt. There's a few that, is Jesus saying, I mostly have authority in heaven and earth. There are a few 
structures, people, maybe institutions that are exempt? Are the principalities and powers? Here's the question. Uh, is anyone exempt from the authority of Jesus? Give me the answer. No. A follow-up question. Are governments exempt? No. Because all means all. And if Jesus has all authority... He has all authority, and governments are not exempt. So we say that Jesus is king of kings. Well, that sounds like poetry. So let's say he's king of kings, and he's king of queens, and he's king of presidents, and he's king of prime ministers, and he's king of dictators, and he's king of democracies. He's king of kings, meaning he has all authority. Now, this is important because personal savior turns too easily into private savior personal savior i'm not i'm not really keen on that term you know it's 20th century it's very new it's a very new term i understand what is intended what is intended is to emphasize that each one of us can have our own experience with jesus christ amen and amen i totally believe that but the term personal savior not a scriptural term it's a modern term 20th century american term personal savior too easily becomes private savior and then we start thinking well it's kind of like this Jesus is Lord in that private spiritual realm but then there's the public realm where Jesus really isn't Lord uh, we have we have Jesus is Lord in, in the private spiritual realm but in the public realm we have government you know and and so that that's a clever way that we let governments do our dirty work for us no, Jesus has all authority. But somebody says, yeah, but Jesus said, you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, give unto God's what is God's. Jesus is not suggesting a division of labor. Jesus is inviting these people that are trying to trick him to think about it and come up with an answer to the question, what belongs to Caesar that does not belong to God? About the only thing you can say is his lousy coin. So give him his coin back, but don't give him much more than that. Well, the three greatest revelations of my life, I can, I can, I can come up with the, the big three. Three greatest revelations of my life. Number one, Jesus is Lord. I got that revelation November 9th, 1974, when I was 15 years old, and that put me on the whole trajectory of my life. Number one revelation, first revelation, Jesus is Lord. The last one, the most recent one, and it was probably... 2008 or something I really began to see and Perry's already confessed it today that God is like Jesus God has always been like Jesus never been a time when God was not like Jesus we haven't always known this but now we do that was the, the third one in between that coming in 2004 was the revelation of the kingdom of God that it is here now that's the revelation that caused me to be born again again and you have to be born again or you cannot perceive the kingdom of God even though it's here even though it's here, but unless you rethink everything, you won't perceive it. Now, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, therefore, I mean, this, there's an implication. This, go and make disciples. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and any government that is not obeying Jesus is belongs to the dark principalities and powers that are in, still in revolt against the king of kings. And we are not to endorse that. We are not to say, yes, you're exempt. We're not to do some sort of clever thing out of Romans 13 and say, well, you know, governments don't have to obey Jesus. No, the message we have for every government is bow your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
because that's how you're saved. I mean, what does the Roman jailer working for the Roman government say? What must I do that I might be rescued? And, and, and Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved in your whole family. Amen. Now, Jesus says, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, I want you to go and make disciples, not decisions. Go make disciples, not decisions. Not, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite Jesus into my heart. I'm gonna pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Okay, now you're saved. You've made a decision for Christ. Here's your ticket to heaven. You're good to go. No, Jesus didn't say make decisions. He said make disciples. And when we separate the two, when we separate, when we make, you know, evangelism is, you know, getting people saved, as we say. And then discipleship is the optional upgrade that people can sign up. You know. And if you'd like to actually become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have some classes on Wednesday night, and you can show up for that, and nobody does. No, when we do that, when we think, okay, our job is to go make decisions and not disciples, that is a catastrophic failure that leads to all kinds of disasters. The gospel is this, the announcement that Jesus is Lord. Those that believe that are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All their sins are forgiven, and then immediately they begin the lifelong process of becoming a disciple, an apprentice, a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus. And it takes a lifetime, and by the way, it takes a community. You cannot be in charge of your own discipleship. You cannot be, those of you that have been in my prayer school, it's the same principle. You cannot do all of your own praying because you're too limited. You cannot be in charge entirely of your own discipleship. That's why we need the church because nobody, I can't, you can't, no one can be in charge of their own discipleship. It's something that we do together. It's in the church that we become aware of our blind spots of areas where we are not faithfully following Christ, but the church and the community and the brothers and sisters that we're following with Jesus, following Jesus with, they can alert us to that and we become aware of how we are not completely obeying Jesus. And so Jesus says, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. All nations. Uh, the church is Catholic, global, universal. We make disciples disciples of all nations and all ethnicities, right? Uh, among those who are baptized into Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, 27, 28. That, that those who are baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ, and it changes everything. So that now, in Christ, there is no ethnic, class, or gender privilege. Say it like that. In Christ, there is no ethnic, class, or gender privilege. Why? Because we're all clothed in Christ and we're one in Christ. Furthermore... If we're baptized into Christ, our nationality becomes an accidental. Our true identity is our baptismal identity. 
When we are baptized, that becomes our primary identity. That is the ancient Christian practice of giving people a Christian name at their baptism because now they belong to Christ and they belong to his kingdom. And so when I say that nationality is an accidental, I'm using a philosophical term. I mean a philosophical, accidental, is, these are the properties that are not intrinsic to the nature of a thing. It's just... It's, it doesn't really, it's, it's, it's one quality, but it doesn't affect the intrinsic nature of the thing. So, for example, I have a passport. I have a passport so I can travel the world. Haven't done that since March, hope to get back to that. But I have a passport so that I can passports and travel the world and go to other countries and come back again. It's blue. It says on it, uh, the United States of America, and it's got the seal of the United States with that eagle and all that. Uh, but it's an accidental. It's not a fundamental aspect of my identity. It's not intrinsic to my true nature. Because, because, because <laughs> the, the true citizenship that we have is in the heavens. That's what Paul says. He says our citizenship is not of Rome. Even though Paul was a Roman citizen, he doesn't talk like that. When it's advantageous, he'll play that card so that he doesn't get, you know, beaten. All right? But... Paul says, my citizenship, our citizenship is of heaven, of the kingdom of Christ. So, for Christians, an agenda to make Babylon great again, or to make Rome great again, or make Russia great again, or make Germany great again, or make America great again, is at best an irrelevant project, and at worst, it becomes idolatrous and leads the church into very dangerous territory. Somebody said, oh, I just got an amen from Perry. I hope somebody out there is saying amen. And somebody said, well, yes, but shouldn't we seek the best for our nation? Of course. And how do we seek the best for our nation? We make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how it's done. That's how we seek the best for our nation. We call people to obey Jesus. Okay, so Jesus says, look, guys, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now, because of that, I want you to go. Get on a move. I want you to go make disciples, not decisions, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's Trinity Sunday. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them. What? What do we teach them? We teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. We teach them to obey. Are there people that are exempt? Oh, governments, you don't have to obey Jesus. Yes, they have to obey Jesus. Is, is the Pentagon exempt? No. What, what do I have? To, can I talk to the Pentagon? <laughs> Somebody hook me up. The message is turn your swords into plowshares, turn your tanks into tractors. You say, well, we don't have to do that. Yes, you do, because Jesus is Lord. And he says, lay down your weapons. And if you want to stay in rebellion, then that's on you. But I'm not going to give you an exemption because Christ doesn't. Look out, I'm getting off my notes. I better get back to staying right on track. The life of discipleship, which is to say the Christian life, is the life of obedience to Jesus. I'll run that passage again. The life of discipleship, which is to say the Christian life, is a life of obedience to Jesus. When the church, though, lets decisions replace discipleship, we drift into the territory of nominal 
Christianity. You understand what that means? Nominal, in name only. Where Christians have a, they, where people have a name, I'm a Christian, I prayed the prayer, I was baptized, I was whatever. I have the name Christian, but it becomes an in, empty signifier because it was, just, it was just a decision they made to ask Jesus into their private, personal, individual heart so that they can go to heaven when they die. No, no, no. What you do is now you follow Jesus and you obey everything he commands you. Anything less than that makes Christianity or Christian an empty signifier. It's why Jesus will say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't even do what I say? What's the point of calling me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? This is what Soren Kierkegaard derided as Christendom in 1850s Denmark. And man, phew, if you want to read a book, you can read Attack Upon Christendom by Soren Kierkegaard. It's kind of long, kind of dense, but it's pure fire. He was, he was ringing a bell. He was trying to wake up this, this sleepy mid-19th century European state called Denmark that had just completely drifted into nominal Christianity. Everybody was a Christian and nobody was a Christian. Kierkegaard said that, that we have created, he says it in that book, an Attack Upon Christendom, he says we've, we've, we've created admirers of Jesus instead of followers. Admirers. Be, oh, we admire Jesus. Yes, we admire Jesus. And we see Jesus on the cross. Oh, there's Jesus paying the price for my sins. You go, Jesus. I just admire that so much. Thank you. I'll see you when I get to heaven because you made a way for me to go to heaven when I die. Kierkegaard says what we've done is we've created admirers of Jesus instead of followers with, of Jesus and nominal Christianity. See, Jesus says, Jesus didn't say just cheer me on because I went to the cross. He says, now, you take up your cross and follow me. You follow me in the way of co-suffering love. You follow me in the way of not fighting for your rights, but laying down your life. You say, yeah, but, but, but I might die. Martyrdom is always on the table. We already, we're already, we've already been buried with Christ. We've already had the funeral. It's called our baptism. And so when the principalities and powers say, if you don't get in line, we're going to kill you, we'll say, well, then what? Sure, it's on the table. Martyrdom is on the table. But Kierkegaard is right. We've created admirers instead of followers, and that generates nominal Christianity, and nominal Christianity has no power to stand against the rise of evil in society. When evil begins to rise in a society among the majority, nominal Christianity is utterly ineffectual in resisting it. Those of you that have seen Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, the life story of Franz Jägerstatter, a martyr, a man beheaded by the Nazis because he wouldn't serve in the German army in World War II, you'll remember perhaps the scene where Franz Jägerstatter is in the church and he's talking with the artist who's painting icons on the church walls. And at one point the artist says, We've created admirers of Jesus and not followers. It's just a direct quote from Kierkegaard. And Terrence Malick is making the point that once that happens, you can't stand against the rise of evil, and people that bear Christian will gladly become Nazis, and they did. Nominal Christianity is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace in 1930s Germany. He called it grace 
without discipleship. It's a ticket to heaven without having to take up your cross. All right, here, pray the prayer. Your sins are forgiven. You're good to go. Now go on and just be a nice, good German. But when Nazism comes, comes along, what happens? A church formed in cheap grace, the German evangelical church, 90% became Nazis, 90% supported Hitler. Because just, there wasn't, they just didn't have the capacity their relationship with Jesus was transactional. Jesus is going to take me to heaven. They weren't an apprentice of Jesus. They weren't trying to follow Jesus. They weren't serious about anything. That would cost them something. That would be difficult. And so they said, no, I'm not going to do that. And, they, and look, when your Christianity can't keep you from becoming a Nazi, it's an empty signifier. So Bonhoeffer and especially Karl Barth, they formed the confessing church. That is the church that confesses that we pledge allegiance only to Jesus Christ. And so that was their form of resistance, the confessing church, but only 10% of the evangelical pastors in the 1930s German, Germany joined the confessing church. The rest of them joined the German Christian movement and became Nazis. Well, Jesus warned that if we hear his words but don't act upon them, eventually the whole house is going to collapse. That's how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7. If we hear his words but don't act on them, eventually the whole house is going to collapse. And that's exactly what happened in Germany. The entire German evangelical church collapsed. Jesus said that when the king is enthroned, the judgment would begin. You find this in Matthew 25. And Jesus says that he, upon his throne, will begin to judge Krino is the Greek word. It means to divide. He will separate. He'll begin to divide. He'll begin to divide. Jesus does not divide the world into donkeys and elephants. You may care passionately about whether I'm a, I'm a proud donkey. I'm a proud elephant. Well, good for you. But Jesus doesn't care about that at all. He doesn't care at all. Jesus does not divide the world into elephants and donkeys. He divides the world into sheep and goats. Now, you can be an elephant, you can be a donkey if you want. I have zero interest in that. But you can be one if you want, but you better not become a goat in the process of doing so. I mean, you can embrace some elephantness unless it turns you into a goat. You can embrace some donkeyness unless it turns you into a goat. And if it turns you into a goat, then you're in trouble, pal. Uh, you cannot do that. Jesus divides the world into sheep and goats, and on what basis does Jesus divide the world into sheep and goats? It's on the basis of not whether we've prayed a magic prayer, but it's based upon how we treat those most vulnerable in society, the poor. So the sheep don't blame the poor, shame the poor, ignore the poor, the sheep help the poor. Why? Because the poor Jesus, he says, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, when you helped that poor man, when you bought the groceries for that poor woman, that was me. It was? We didn't recognize it. Yeah, well, it was. And so the sheep recognize Jesus in the impoverished, and they don't blame him, shame him, ignore them. They help them. The sheep help the sick. In the middle of a global pandemic, the sheep will be known for their care and compassion. They help the stranger, and that means the immigrant. No matter what governments may do, who cares about that? All authority in heaven and earth is given unto Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the stranger. If you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. If you refuse the stranger, you refuse me. Yeah, but we have laws. Jesus says, I have laws too. 
And it's called love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the sheep care for the imprisoned. I think, you know, we want to just, you know, uh, law and order and throw them in jail and throw away the key and they did the crime, they can do the time and forget about them. But no, that's not the Jesus way. And so I'm so glad that, that here at this church we have pastors Tyrese and Cheryl Barnett going into the prisons and they do a, a marvelous job. Getting into the prisons and do prison ministry these days, you know, is a lot of formality, a lot of, a lot of vetting you have to go through and all of that training. Uh, but, I, but I began ministering in prisons when I was 19 years old. And I'll tell you why. I read in Matthew 25. Jesus says, I was in prison and you visited me. We didn't, we didn't, when were you in prison, Jesus? What were you in for? You know, and Jesus, no, as much as you did it to any prisoner, you did it to me. And I thought, well, I need to visit prisoners. I'm 19 years old, right? And uh, so, so I went to the Andrew County Jail in Savannah, Missouri. I'm 19 years old. I just show up on a Saturday morning. There was Sheriff Reed. And I said, Sheriff, I need to go. I need, you need to let me into the jail. Well, I said, well, I need to, I need to visit these guys. <laughs> I just, and, and, and I kind of just kept, he said, you can't, I said, yeah, you can just, just unlock, let me in, you come back, you know, we're talking a Mayberry situation mostly here, but you just let me in, come back in an hour and let me out. And, uh, believe it or not, he did. He let me in. Uh, now it may have had something to do with the fact that my father was the judge. <laughs> I didn't play that card or anything like that. And my dad didn't know I did it because he wouldn't have approved of that. But, but you know, he let me in, and so that became a thing I would do. I would go on Saturdays. Sometimes I would take another guy with me, a musician, and we'd have a little church service. He'd play guitar and sing, and I'd kind of preach or talk to these guys. Uh, but most of the time he didn't go, so most of the time it was just me, you know, and I'd just show up, and I'd say, well, Sheriff, let me in. And he'd let me in, and then, you know, he'd come back. Sometimes I was afraid he'd forgotten <laughs> to come back and let me out. But I would just go in there and be with those guys. And it didn't take me long to realize that, you know what, just tweak a few circumstances. I'm born to a different family, a few other things go, and I'm the one in jail. And so I was always real careful not to bring any shame. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, it was a small town, Savannah, Missouri. I would know a lot of those guys in there. And, uh, and so I always was real careful not to shame them. I said, yeah, you know, life's crazy. We all make mistakes, you know, and uh, who knows? I might end up in jail. And after preaching this sermon, I might. Who knows? But maybe somebody will come visit me. All right, so we can't blame, shame, ignore the most vulnerable and despised in society and then hand Jesus our get-out-of-jail-free card, our ticket-to-heaven card, because once upon a time we prayed a sinner's prayer. No, it does not work that way. Those are the lies of cheap grace that lead to a catastrophe. In the 1850s, America's greatest evangelist, Charles Finney, said, you cannot be on the right side of God and on the wrong side of the slavery issue. And they burned his church down. Broadway Tabernacle in New York City, Charles Finney, before the Civil War, is preaching saying, you cannot be on the right side of God and the wrong side of the slavery issue. You're going to have to choose. And people hated that message. They said, no, 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 Jesus is saves us, and don't be messing around with that. And they burned his church down. He had an integrated church, first integrated church in New York City. 
And they set his church on fire, and the fire department refused to come and put the fire out. But don't worry, Finney will be fine at the judgment seat of Christ. And in 2020, I'm saying you can't be on the right side of God and the wrong side of racism. America's original sin is racism. Racism manifested as stolen land and slave labor, and those sins have not yet been atoned for. And racism still infects the church in America. We must repent, and we can't repent until we see it. But in 2020, we've got 2020 vision, and we can see it if we want to. It's time for white Christians to change our mind and change our behavior regarding racism in America. You can burn me down on social media if you want to, but I'll be fine at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what counts. So let's, let's bring it home. Let's bring it in for a landing. Let's bring it in. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So in a global pandemic, Jesus is with us. In the midst of racial injustice, Jesus is with us. In the midst of whatever comes next, Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have come to know by the revelation of the Father that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe you when you say all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And so we want to go and make disciples, but we can't make disciples until we are a disciple. And so we seek to follow you, Jesus, to obey you, to learn from you, to be your apprentice. We all stumble in many ways, so have mercy on us and forgive us. But help us to persevere in the way of being a disciple. Lord, save America from nominal Christianity. May there be a Christianity that is substantive, that really does reflect the radical nature of following Jesus Christ. Help us to be here in St. Joseph at Word of Life Church an authentic expression of the kingdom of Jesus in the 21st century. Amen and amen.